Hello and good afternoon. You are so welcome to In the Pursuit of Intimacy. It's the weekend of the 13th to the 15th of November 2009 and the title of this weekend is The Secret Place. Unusually I'm going to record it because usually the secret place and the intimacy weekends are not recorded because we spend a lot of time with the Lord and not a lot of time teaching. But this time, because of the volume of people who are due to attend tomorrow, we're going to record the thing. So here we go and let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are always with us. You've promised never will you leave us, never will you forsake us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, when you went back to the Father, you sent the Holy Spirit, who's our teacher. Thank you so much, Holy Spirit. Ask that you'll come and show us Jesus afresh, show us the Father afresh this weekend. Knit our hearts into that secret place in him. Knit our hearts into you, cause us to understand what it is to be in the secret place of God's own heart. Help us to stay there, help us to dwell there, help us to abandon ourselves to the King. Help us to come into an even deeper place of surrender to your will for our lives, in order that your kingdom might come and your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, and for his sake. Amen. As on every other weekend, I'm handing out little um, sheets of paper which are headed up, Trusting the Life of God Within. Now, these sheets are just to help you with your own personal quiet times. Um, they're not written in stone, but if you follow the guidelines, you will find that your personal time with the Lord will improve. So I'm just going to run through it quickly to explain how we should begin each day. And really, really it's good if we can begin by soaking in his presence. Even if you only play a couple of tracks of a soaking CD or um, your favourite worship CD, just relax into his presence, sink back into his arms because all of this is about improving your quiet times with God. So, first thing that you do is to separate your relationship with God from function in your time with Him. Don't go with a prayer list into His presence. Separate the devotional time from what I would call business time with God. Business time is your prayer life and things you want to talk over with Him. So begin each day by dwelling on his nature. Read a psalm. Slow down. The purpose of this is to recognize who he is. As he gets bigger, your problems will get commensurately smaller. If you don't do this, your problem will become bigger than he is in your eyes. Trust his life within you. Recognize who he is, what he's done in Christ and what he's doing now by his indwelling Holy Spirit. Celebrate this. Celebrate your growth in him. 
not the amount of growth you think you need to make. Thank him for what he's doing in you and through you. Thank him for what he has done already. Thank you, Father, you are changing me. Declare that you are being changed from one degree of glory to another by the Holy Spirit and acknowledge it before him. This recognition promotes cooperation as you yield yourself to the present moment in him and it produces celebration. He is the I am, not I was or I will be. He's the God of now, the present moment. He's not the God of I will be when you get better. I am is present. Upgrade your relationship with the Holy Spirit. How well do you know him? He is your personal trainer. He will teach you all you need to know about dwelling in the present moment with God. He'll teach you how to walk in the unchanging nature of God, how to be loved and how to become the beloved. So, some practical steps to be taken every day. And step one is set aside some time. It's so obvious. But we do need to be intentional about this. Intentionally set some time aside to be with him. Make a date. Step two, whisper his name until you are still inside. Take as long as it takes. Shut down that inner dialogue. Persevere to keep yourself under. Quiet your soul. Push away anxiety. He is here. Step three. As I've said before, separate that devotional time from your prayer life and your study time. Let your devotional time be paramount. You're separating function from relationship and relationship comes first. Function follows. Step four. Stop striving to live the Christ life. It's his to live and ours to die for. Concentrate on submission to him. As the old song says, forget about yourself and concentrate on him and worship him. Humble yourself consciously before him throughout the day. Seek only him. This discipline, born out of desire, produces the delight of his presence. Graham Cook used to say, when discipline and desire get married, they produce delight. <laughs> Step five, lay everything down. Simplify your life. Get rid of some of the clutter inside and out. Make room for him. Obey his commands. They are not burdensome. Step six, trust his life and actions within you. And rest. He is God in us, releasing the Christ life as we yield constantly to his Lordship. The Holy Spirit is empowering us daily through our circumstances to rest and he enables us to align our will with his. His is the life, his is the ministry, his is the fruit, his is the revelation and the power. Seek always not to grieve him or abuse him. Make it easy for him to come. We must do everything we can to make him welcome. Step 7. 
pray constantly to be led by him. Lead me, Holy Spirit. Then we can rest in the fact of his presence with us in all circumstances. Trust his life within you and be at peace. Be at rest. Push away fear and anxiety. Sink back into his nature. He is full of rest and peace. He possesses a deep and abiding joy. He is totally confident in himself. He is full of stillness and quietness and endless patience. He doesn't strive, he waits. His nature is full of kindness, gentleness and goodness. And he overflows with love. Okay. That's just to help you. And one important thing is that have a notebook. Uh, because if something comes into your mind, you need to write it down and then forget it. Um, because if you're anything like me, as soon as you sit down, all sorts of things flood into your mind that you need to do. So just write them down, forget them. So we're here to think deeply about things perhaps we haven't thought about in depth before. We're here to find out God's intention for us. That we live inside his heart, in the secret place. Inside every one of us is a longing for love, acceptance and belonging. The fall ripped us from father's heart and everything he has ever done since then is to get us back inside his heart. There are no fences to jump no examinations to pass, just an attitude of gratitude for all he's done and all he wants to do. Beloved, he will not rest himself until you know his heart towards you and what he is really, really like. Father is holding out his hands to us to escape the frantic pace of life in this century and come to a place of rest and significance security and self-worth which is only found deep inside his heart in the secret place. Psalm 91 says this He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty whose power no foe can withstand. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. On him I lean and rely, and in him I confidently trust. For then he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Then he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings shall you trust and find refuge. His truth and his faithfulness are a shield and a buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow, the evil plots and slanders of the wicked that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor of the destruction and sudden death that surprise and lay waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only a spectator shall you be, yourself inaccessible in the secret place 
of the Most High, as you witness the reward of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord your refuge and the Most High your dwelling place, there shall no evil befall you, nor any plague or calamity come near your tent. For he will give his angels a special charge over you, to accompany and defend and preserve you in all of your ways of obedience and service. They shall bear you up on their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent shall you trample underfoot. Because he set his love on me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he knows and understands my name, has a personal knowledge of my mercy, love and kindness, trusts and relies on me, knowing I will never forsake him, no, never. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So this weekend is about anchoring you in the security of who God desires to be for you and the place he wants you to live inside his heart the secret place, the safe place, and who you are to him, his precious, precious treasure. This weekend may challenge your current belief systems. Just let it happen. It can only be for the good. God's not religious. He wants relationship and close relationship at that. His heart is always for us. His heart is full towards us. His heart is never against us. Jesus has done everything to bring us into loving fellowship with the Father. There is no place to get to, no striving. It's all a done deal. You're in Christ. Christ is in God and you are secure, double wrapped, forever. You're accepted, you have security, significance and worth. Believe it. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, beloved. His rule and reign in your life. His life for your life. His health for your health. His love for your love. His life of limitless possibilities in place of your life of limitation. Here is a poem, or maybe you would call it prose, written by someone who attended the Limitless Possibilities Conference, that's Graham Cook's conference in Vacaville, earlier this year. And it says this, I saw only fences, you opened gates. I said, I can't, you said, I know. I drowned in my smallness. You overwhelm me with your bigness. When I couldn't imagine a future, you whispered and kissed and sang your song to me until I simply had to follow. Until I found myself standing before a door, knocking. And somewhere in the knocking, in the waiting, I began to dream of a life beyond the door, 
At some point in the knocking while I waited, you stole my fears and placed hope in my pockets. I stopped crying about endings and began looking for the beginning until the door vanished when I least expected and I tumbled into a space so wide, so vast, so blue, so you, where there are no ceilings, no walls, not even a floor to restrain me, a landscape without limits, endless plains of hope, rivers of renewal, Everests of imagination, summits still in clouds begging to be climbed. I'm surrounded here by runners, climbers, dreamers, explorers who live in the question what's out there, adventurers without maps who navigate with compasses set on true north. So I stand still, listening, resting, and you are smiling at my wonder delighting at my discovery of who you really are and who I really am until I gather myself and begin to run and run and run and climb and climb and climb for you are the summit, you are the peak living with you in your secret place the possibilities are limitless I've found my heart's desire in you. Those of you familiar with the Westminster Catechism will know that it says at one place, what is the chief end of man? And answers, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That which he should seek after as his chief happiness. When we've really found him, we find that he is our heart's desire, our chief happiness. Desire is a very important word. We will be looking at it in the December passing the baton meeting. God has a plan for your life and it's like nothing you have ever imagined or could imagine. He has plans for you and designs on you, but first you need to let go, surrender afresh to his lordship and glorify him and enjoy him forever. So as we end this first session, a question for you. Ask him, what's holding you back from those limitless possibilities, the limitless possibilities of his love for you. Hello and welcome and good morning and for those of you listening on CD it's Saturday morning the 14th of November and here we are with our first session and it's entitled that he sees you today as you will be on that day. You're the finished work as far as he's concerned and everything that you go through and are currently going through is part of the process to bring you into what he has already envisioned you as. And those of you who are here, you're here because God's drawn you. 
you didn't just think this is a good idea I think I'll go to the In Pursuit of Intimacy weekend God has a plan for your life for you for who you are becoming and we need to get to grips with that plan and begin to walk in the image he sees rather than the one we see. God sees us today as we will be on that day. He sees us present future. We're going to consider some things during our time together and by the time Sunday afternoon comes you'll see God and yourself from a totally different perspective because you spent time reflecting on who he is and who you are in relation to him. But first, Hosea 2, 14-23 says this Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So, he's allured you. He's spoken tenderly to you. And you have come to meet with him. Just think about that for a moment. Everything was created to respond to him. Think about that for a moment. The earth and the sea and the sky are waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. They are waiting for us to sing the song of the Lord to them. But first, there is something we need to know. He initiates, we respond. Always the same. 
He calls us, we respond to him, and he brings us the easiest way we will come. We govern how difficult or how easy it is to follow him. Resisting him is just silly because he will pursue you relentlessly. He's like that. He absolutely adores you. He's jealous over you. He'll never let you go, no matter what you do. Relentlessly kind, relentlessly loving, relentlessly jealous. 2 Corinthians 11.2 As a people, we are here to put a face on Jesus. We're here to say to the world, God isn't like that, he's like this. But so few of us actually know what he's like, so the message we put out is one of come to church and join our group. Because we don't live in an intimate embrace and relationship with him, we cannot portray what we do not have to others. Beloved, this is a romance. The wedding of the universe is about to take place and male or female, you are the bride. In these days, God is pursuing us relentlessly. You can feel his breath on your neck if you're facing the wrong way or on your cheek if you are alongside him. The bridegroom is coming after the bride with absolute intent. She is his and she's going to know it. You are my woman. You are my woman. You are my woman. 2 Corinthians 11.2 in the King James Version says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So we're here to find out more about him. He's drawn us into this place because he wants to do something in our hearts that we will never ever forget and that something is good news. He will not hurt you beloved. He will not harm you. He hasn't brought you here to beat the hell out of you as Graham Cook would say. He brought you here because he desires that you should know him. That you might know him. He says, I want you to know me. Know me. I want you to know me. Know me. I want you to know me. Not your idea about me, but who I really, really am and how I see you my beautiful one. So your first assignment today is to think about what I've just said for a moment and ask yourself what do I know him as? Is he good, kind, sympathetic, faithful, loving, trustworthy? And who do you know him as? Father, friend, saviour, God, 
shepherd, husband. And in relation to those two things, how do you see yourself? I'm talking here about experientially what you really, really know in your knower. Not head knowledge, not the answer you think you should be giving, but what you know. This is about what your heart sings when you think of him. What does your heart do when your mind thinks to him, when your mind turns to him? What does your heart do? So, if that has floored you, put the skids under you, don't worry. Because you need to see that you've got a gap inside you and he wants to start to fill it. And he may have to remove a boulder or two first and don't worry about that either. If you've got wrong ideas and wrong belief systems, he's going to have to get rid of them for you. So that he can fill it with who he really, really is. And don't worry if you find you haven't got heart knowledge right now. Just be totally honest about where you are with yourself. Because he knows and he is here. So take a little break now and have a little think and answer your questions. Just you and him. In these days God is holding out to us the opportunity to live a life less ordinary. To become part of something so glorious, so incredible, so amazing as he presents himself to us and says will you have me in my fullness in your life as your beloved you can't minister to the earth from the earth you can only minister to the earth from heaven therefore we need an encounter with the heavenly man Jesus if we are to be any earthly good. So this weekend's about your personal growth, your interaction with God. He's the architect of what he's planning in you, but you have to give him planning permission. He will never invade your free will. Your attendance here this weekend, the very fact that you made it, is a mark that God wants to do something very special in your life. He wants to bring you into that acceleration and propel you into his purposes for your future. As I said before, you might find yourself in for some surprises regarding your theology. That's fine. We should be constantly repenting, which is changing our mind, opening our hearts to hear a different viewpoint, a wider perspective. As we go up higher, we see things differently and we get a wider lens to see things through. God is limitless. Sounds obvious, but he's limitless. But we tend to limit him with our finite understanding. Be aware of this. He is infinite and he is infinite in everything he is and does. So we should be continuously receiving an upgrade. 
a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who he is. This we must always be asking for. One thing you need to be very aware of, and that is that there is always a battle for intimacy. There is a warfare of intimacy. The enemy hates it with a passion. He can't get at you when you're wrapped up in who God is. So you may find yourself having distracting thoughts, thoughts about work or home or things you should do, trying to pull you out. Write these things down. You can deal with them later. Right now, this is you and him. Intimacy. Into me, see? One thing is needful. To live at his feet and rest. One thing is sought between heaven and earth, and that is to behold the Lord and live in his presence. What you behold, you become. One thing is important, how you see God and how you relate to him. What you think about God is the most important thing in your life. You may not think so right now, but as we go on and learn some things about who he is and how he likes to do things, how he sees you, your opinion may change. Be open. If something in your life is more important than me, your priorities are skewed, says the Lord, and your spiritual life will suffer. So you'll love or hate this time, you'll fall into one or the other, but you won't be lukewarm. One thing is sought between heaven and earth, that we might behold God and live in his presence. Why? Because God is a lover. Many of you are aware that God initiates and we respond. It is always the same. The way we came into Christianity is the way we continue. We didn't wake up one morning and think this is a good day to get saved. God pursued you, courted you, softened your heart, drew you to himself until you responded to him. We are built to respond, not initiate. Should we not respond, he pursues us relentlessly. So unashamedly, he's after your heart this weekend. If you're a bit like the tin man in the Wizard of Oz looking for a heart that the wicked witch stole, this could be the weekend for you because the Holy Spirit is here with his oil can and the promise of a new heart. So I'm just going to mess with your theology and your heads a bit and give you the Tin Man song. And it's called, If I Only Had a Heart. When a man's an empty kettle, he should be on his mettle, and yet I'm torn apart. Just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart. I'd be tender, I'd be gentle, and awful sentimental regarding love and art. I'd be friends with the sparrows and the boy that shoots the arrows if I only had a heart. 
just to register emotion, jealousy, devotion and really feel the part. I could stay young and chipper and I'd lock it with a zipper if I only had a heart. No apologies for that. God is relational. He wants a love affair with you. And in order to be able to be ready for what's coming, we'll need an upgrade in the way we see him, how we perceive him, how he does things, how he feels towards us. And this is what the weekend's all about, giving you an upgrade, a promotion into the heart of God and ruin, ruining you for anything else. So don't close down on it now. Let your heart go into what I've said so far. Let your heart go because I'm about to blast you away with a declaration by Graham Cook. And of course Graham Cook only declares what God is saying. So here comes the echo of Graham. And he said this. I declare to you you are the beloved of God. He's looking at you now with absolute intention and he's coming after you with absolute intention. You will not stop him from loving you because this is about him declaring who he is going to be for you. He has designs on you. There is an intimacy in God's heart that cannot be held up any longer. It is critical to the revelation of the kingdom, but right now it's about you being radically loved. God as your lover, as your beloved, is coming after you with romantic intent. I declare that you are free to respond to him in a way you've never responded before. Your history is irrelevant. There is something outrageous coming out of heaven that is going to capture the church. It is so profound, so majestic, we haven't even dreamt about it. There is a place in the affections of God where you are going to be swept away, to be so radically affected by God that you have to learn a new language and have to have eyes touched, then language to speak out what you are seeing you will sing a new song. I release you to see yourself in a way you have never seen yourself before. He will give you an experience of himself. Granted in Jesus' name. Let your heart go to another place. Let yourself go. God is saying you are no longer defiled. You are pure. You are spotless. You are free. I see you as pure. You're my virgin because my blood has cleansed every part of your heart, your mind, your body. My blood is like acid to sin. It dissolves it. You are not defiled. You are pure. You are my virgin bride. You are holy and beloved. Clean. You are clean by the washing of water and the word, pure, righteous, holy. You're my virgin, undefiled, 
separated to me, belonging to me, I see you. I declare to you the past no longer has anything to do with who you are now. You are free. You are so free. You are free to see yourself as I see you. I don't see anything wrong with you. All I see is beauty. You are so beautiful. Undefiled. You are a new creation. All the old has passed away. Everything has been new for a long time. You are so new. Revel in your newness. Revel in your cleanness. Revel in your purity. I'll help you with all the stuff. I have given you a safe place in my heart. You can adore me because I adore you first. Are you not my beloved? You're mine. You're mine. You're my woman. You're my woman. You're clean. You're pure. And you are beautiful. Permission has been granted for you to live a life overwhelmed. There you have God's heart for you. And permission has been granted to you to live a life overwhelmed by the love of God for you. God is relational. Question. Do you know him as relational today? Do you know him as father? Do you know him as bridegroom? How well do you know the Holy Spirit? I want you to think about that. Are you in relationship with him? Do you communicate with him and he with you? Do you know him as God or do you know him as Father? Or does the whole issue of Father bring up something else? Do you know him as the lover of your soul? When you pray and talk to him, do you expect to hear an answer? Do you expect to have prayer answered? If not, why not? Come with me in your imagination for a moment to the Garden of Eden. I think of this frequently and it just amazes me every time I think about it. God's standing there and amidst everything he's created and he's saying something is missing. Let us make man in our image. Genesis 1 verse 26. So he stoops in this garden he's just created and gathers up some earth, some dust. Spits on it a bit to make it mouldable and begins with extreme care to shape what is now a lump of clay into a person in his own likeness, in his own image. As this cold, lifeless clod stands before him, he approaches it and placing his lips to the cold lips of clay, 
He breathes his very own ruach, his spirit, into it. And it becomes a living, breathing soul. And he names it Adam. Red Earth. Picture, if you will, the scene. Creator and created, looking deeply into one another's eyes. The love of God flowing back and forth between them. To complete it, love has to have an object upon which to set its affection. God now has someone he has created upon whom to set his love. There was a time when Adam drank deeply from this source of all love. He looked into God's eyes and received his identity. He, our first father and archetype, lived in unbroken communion with the most captivating, beautiful and intoxicating source of life in the universe. God was Adam's source of ecstasy. His source of joy, happiness, delight, bliss, rapture, elation. They walked together in the garden in the cool of the evening. The garden that God had made for man and where he placed him. Adam quite simply had God. He needed nothing else. In his wisdom, God gave Adam a partner. It's not good, he said, for man to be alone. So he walks in the garden with this man he calls Adam in close and loving fellowship. And it's some time later, we don't know how long, when he says, it's not good for this man we've made to be alone. So he puts Adam into a deep sleep and from his side prepares a helpmeet for him and Adam names her Eve, mother of all living. God allowed Adam to need something other than himself. He risked the partner he gave Adam taking the place of God himself in Adam's affections. You were created for love. A love relationship with your creator first. He made you for his delight and that delight is perfected when you delight in him and you give back to him that which he gave you. Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. As we all know, free will and choice led Eve, then Adam, to eat from that which was forbidden. And the first thing which happens to them is that they lose their glory and see their own nakedness. They are divorced from their source. 
A terrible rift has taken place. Adam and Eve have been ripped from the heart of the one who loves them with all of his heart. Because the serpent caused Eve to forget the goodness of God. The serpent beguiled me, she said, and I did eat. The serpent caused me to forget. Adam was not deceived by the serpent. He didn't fall because he was deceived. His sin was different. In some ways it was more serious because he did it with his eyes open. There was a moment in Eden when Eve was fallen. She'd lost her glory, she'd eaten, but he, Adam, yet had a choice. The universe, beloved, must have held its breath. He calls her bride. Falling, twisting, turning, spinning, down and down, into darkness, amnesia, something half-remembered, then lost. Darkness of soul, darkness of mind, darkness of understanding. Weakness, blindness, hard landing. Till the soil, sweat, Adam, suffer, Adam, die, Adam. In dying, you will die, Adam. But what's this? I, I can't see. My eyes are dim. A man prepared to go? Father, I will bring them back to us. My love sees their state, their brokenness. They know not what they do. Darkened understanding, blinded, back turned from his gaze, shifting, hiding, covering, self-protecting, even redeemed, they know not, they understand little. Still in darkness, their thinking dulled, eyes blurred. But I shall restore. It shall be again the voice of bride, groom, and of bride. They shall be mine, and heaven's joy shall sound, bliss undreamed of shall abound again. Thorns, nails, dragging, tender flesh, searing, tearing, it's done. I will, Father, that they should be with me again. It's done. My Lord receives his crown, his bride his own, and she in accents sweet declares, I am his, I am the bride, and he is mine. Now, lowered his feet, she sinks, understanding come, vision clear. The bride, kissing nail marks, imprints of his love, forever there to show the price he paid to bring her to his side, his bride. Not until all is stilled and heaven's bliss is entered in shall we in wonder understand that which to us now is dim half forgotten, never understood, the depths to which we fell, the depths to which he went to restore us to himself again, bride and bridegroom at one, to spend eternity in heaven's bliss again. Something took place in Adam's heart at that moment, something shifted 
I've lost my soulmate, my Isa Konegno, the most vital companion I've ever known. I do not know what life will be like without her. I cannot live without her. He takes, he eats, he loses his glory too. Adam chose Eve over God. We've lost, if we ever had, in the first place, the knowledge of the love of this great God for us. We are his treasured possession. He yearns jealously over us with a passion. We are the desire of his heart and he sees us as most desirable and altogether lovely. He speaks the language of love over us. His heart and his desire are always towards us. He is passionate about us. As Brits, passion is something we do not allow ourselves to feel or express, particularly in regard to God. Football teams, yes. God, no. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. His thoughts are so high we cannot attain to them. He knows what we're like and he says, Will you have me? in my fullness, in your life, as your beloved. I love you. Will you be mine? Only you can answer that question. God is so utterly, amazingly incredible that you run out of superlatives. How do you describe majesty so bright you cannot look upon it? How do you describe beauty so outrageous you dare hardly believe it? How do you describe the indescribable? What if he's nothing like any of us have ever imagined, but supremely, utterly, totally, superlatively greater, more powerful than love and lovelier than that? You just utterly run out of things, how to describe him. He's altogether kinder, gentler, more merciful, patient, joyful, happy, glorious, radiant, bright than we have ever dreamed. What if there's a place in God's affection, there's a power that is ours for the taking, if we will believe it? We are not supposed to be able to contain what God wants to give us. We are supposed to overflow with it, splash everyone in sight with a blessing, to walk in his favour, his bias towards us, and give it away. God is glorified when we are full of everything he wants to give us, when he is our chief source of happiness. His great heart is romantic about us. He dreams big dreams for us. Last night we began to look at God's plan for our lives which has limitless possibilities and we ended with a question. I'm rephrasing it. Are you holding on to the world with one hand and the Lord with the other? Do you need to let go? So I ask the same thing of you this morning is there anything you need to let go of so have a little think about that
and we'll meet again after lunch. Thank you for listening.